You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is Thursday, June the 16th, 2022. You're listening to episode 108 of the Good Pop Culture Club. My name is Marvin Yue, and joining me to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Jew. What up, Marvin? Hey, I'm two weeks out from no longer being a professional oh, Asian. What, what? You can be self-proclaimed you, uh, former <laughs> or formerly self-proclaimed professional Asian American. Yeah, could I be like a professional white person, do you think? Do you think no. that would mm. I mean you're very white. <laughs> I am, but I mean, like white adjacent no. maybe, but not I don't think you will ever... you will yeah, you will always be a professional Asian in my heart. <laughs> thank you. Th- thank you. I don't I'll take that. I'll sit with that. Also joining us professional culture editor Han Win. Hi. Hey. <laughs> I am not leaving my job anytime soon. We need Alas. the work. Yes. 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 Um, not all of us have a. I, I need a sugar daddy. Yeah. No, no. Um, all of us have a sugar me. daddy. <laughs> I worked really hard these last five years. Um, I I pushed him through Florida. I pushed him through residency. I deserve nice things. Well, it is a truth universally known that a man going through med school is in need of a. Uh, of, of a fat ass <laughs> and a, a fat ass and a, and a, and a booty that won't quit, right? <laughs> That's what she brings to the table. Uh, I'm so glad to be back. Uh, I took a, we took a week off last week because um, I forgot that um, I had a vacation lined up to go to uh, Chicago, which uh, we'll talk about later on. But uh, I'm really tired. Did you do anything but eat, Marvin? I'm never eating ever again is the thing. All the eating was very fun to look at, and I did have some envy. <laughs> You're so fancy. Can I ask you about the whole Alinea thing now or, like, later? I mean, we I can get started now. I dessert table. I mean, what's so, popping? Um, what's popping for me was the my Chicago trip, which was my first vacation waistband. of the post-COVID. Were we post-COVID? We're, like, no, in no, the COVID era. No, we're never going to be post-COVID, right? but... In the in the in the new in the ostrich era, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was my first time taking a flight, first time going like literally to a trip outside of California since the pandemic, and man, that plane was mostly unmasked. As long as you wear a mask, I've flown a lot, and honestly, <laughs> the airplane is not as bad as some places I've been in, like L.A. Like going to a restaurant in L.A. seems grosser than being on a plane sometimes. Hmm, I guess. Um, but my uh, my airplane curse persists. I was seated next to babies both ways, there and back. Ooh, were they crying babies? Um, no, the crying baby was in the front of the plane. Um, they were mm. rowdy babies until they um, fell asleep. So not wow. too bad. Were I guess. they cute? One was cute. The other one was not very cute. Okay, not cute, cute doesn't baby. help if they're still loud. <laughs> it's like uh, you can't be loud and ugly as a baby. That's just. Mm rude that's true but um yeah um we took a trip to chicago uh, my my partner and i are you know self-proclaimed foodies i guess so we went on a restaurant tour and the reason we went to chicago was because we snagged reservations for alinea which is you know three mission star like some might say the one of the best restaurants in the country and so when we um decided to try for reservations and we got it we we're like well i guess we're going to chicago now <laughs> And man, was, it one of those, was it one of those things where you're like, oh, I kind of hope I don't get it because that means 
it's like they make you pay up front, right? It's like a ticket. Yeah, we paid up front. Um, it was like the most expensive meal of our lives. But, you know, we were actually hoping to get it because if we didn't get it this month, that means next month when we tried again, it would be well into the summertime. Yeah. And um, summers in Chicago, like we're we are weak Californians. We cannot deal with you, 90 I plus mean, degrees full humidity anymore. Wait, yeah. it's that hot in Chicago? Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. But like, it's so cold in Chicago, too. No. What the fuck? Chicago is a city of extremes. That's fuck it. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. But OK, you go off Chicago. <laughs> but yeah, this we... is my California show. I'm like, wait, what? There's weather. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, you it looks like you did it perfectly because besides the gorgeous food, your skyline and like building pictures were really nice. Like the sky looked really clear. And blue. Yeah, the Samsung um, S21 camera. Pretty good at taking pictures. <laughs> we don't have a sponsor but, yet. But, but yeah. is it worth But is it worth the green text bubbles? I don't know. I've never had an iPhone besides the first one, so I don't know what I'm missing. And I did hear a very interesting fact, which is um, Samsung cameras are actually better at taking pictures of Asian faces than Apple cameras. <gasps> Well, I it, would hope fucking so, Samsung. <laughs> Makes sense. I am a longtime Samsung Android user. Oh, so. yeah. Both of your... Oh. I do not get... Yeah. I've not been on an iPhone for a while. <laughs> Disgusting. The, the only iPhones I've ever had were work um, issued, and then I gave them back. But yeah, like Han said, if you want to see pictures of... Um, all my story pictures are faded by now because it's been more than 24 hours. But if you want to take a look at the food I ate, you can check out my Instagram, Marvin Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure my profile is still public as of now. Um, <laughs> I think the entire trip, I, we ate a total of five Michelin stars. We had the Ooh, three at Alinea. You so fancy. <laughs> oh, my God. We had the three at Alinea, which um, totally worth it if you're into that kind of thing. Um, we actually were watching other vloggers and their trips to Alinea to kind of get pumped up. And we actually saw one where... She was very disappointed and was like still hungry afterwards. So she went to McDonald's after her <laughs> meal. And we were like, oh, man, kind of getting worried. But at the dinner, we were wondering what the hell she was eating because we were stuffed afterwards. It's, yeah. It's like 10 presentations, 23 courses. like, And it's, it's a tasting menu. So there are small plates. But those add up. It's a three-hour meal, too. You're there for the entire three hours. Um, the way it works is it's like a presentation for the entire dining room. And so the entire dining room eats at the same time. There's like six tables total. And the, the waiters walk you through every dish. And so the entire thing took, yeah, took like three hours to get from the first course to dessert. Yeah. I mean, multiple courses, like 10 courses, that's no joke. And, yeah. you're, and you're right. Like you think yeah. it's small, but it's not. And they're very smart because if they space it out over time, it lets you actually digest a little bit before you eat the next so you feel fuller whereas like i'm the kind of person who's like i'm starving and i'll just keep on eating and all of a sudden i'm like i'm over full because i did it in 20 minutes we have um, a theory though um the person <laughs> who made that vlog was probably a chicago native and uh, that's probably why the courses weren't enough because have you seen those midwest portions oh uh, yeah those dishes big yeah i've yeah. I've, I've had a few michelin star restaurants and without a doubt meals and the one commonality is i always just take a nap in the middle <laughs> it's like three to four hours i'm fucking tired i'm just like they're you know it's all moody and dimly lit most of the time and i'm just like god damn i just want to like there are many pictures of me falling asleep mm. in the middle of a meal 
And then I like mean, by the end, I'm just like, I just need this to be over. Like I'm dying. Yeah. Three hours is a marathon. There's a there was an omakase near me where it was too many. Like I it wasn't even that I was just getting tired because I was. I was actually too full. Like I wasn't enjoying the food by the oh. end. It was just too much. Mm. But we were totally engaged the entire time. The presentation was good. The food was really good too. It looked um, amazing. Yeah. Um, totally worth the we spent we spent probably over a thousand dollars on that on that meal, um, including the wine pairing. I did Ooh. see the all the wine glasses at your table. Mm. I was like, you fancy, yeah. y'all can drink. Well, we shared one. You can share one between the two of us. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. That's sense. smart. That's smart. Uh, the night before we actually went to the Aviary, which is the Alinea Group's um cocktail bar. Uh. And man, it's been a while since I drank and I was super tired from the red eye, so I got pretty smashed during that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the other two restaurants we went to with Michelin Stars, we went to Tsuko, which is um Carlos Gaitan's restaurant. It's like the top Mexican restaurant in Chicago, which is great because it's not by Rick Bayless. And um <laughs> and we also went to Kasama, which is the only Michelin Star Filipino restaurant in the entire country. Um, both of those stars are for their dinner, like their tasting menu service. Uh, we went for brunch for both of them, but still really good. At Kasama, we had like a a breakfast sandwich with longanisa, and it was mm. pretty amazing. Yeah, there are many other things, uh, <laughs> n- many other non alienia things that I was uh, eyeing. Yeah. Really <laughs> um, so to offset the money we spent on food, we actually didn't pay for our hotel or our flights because... Of the two years under COVID, we saved up a ton of points. Whoa. So I had like four free nights saved up from my Hilton card. So we actually um, stayed all four nights at the um, Waldorf Astoria in Chicago. It's pretty mm. bougie. I discovered um, why bathrobes are really awesome because they had some really comfy <laughs> bathrobes at the hotel. Yes, I, I do agree that I will wear, if it looks good, I will wear the bathroom robe in a hotel if it looks nice. But I also especially like the Kimpton Bathroom. Oh, they have like leopard ones. Yes, right? yes. They're so f- I, I was just about to say, bed. love the same hot, same <laughs> same page. It's we told like the hotel the was our one. anniversary, so they give us free champagne. Yeah. Yes, that's and so smart. while I was opening, I accidentally cut my finger <gasps> on the label. I didn't notice it, and um, so you guys have a lot of paper cuts, right? Those things gush yeah. sometimes, yeah. and yeah, I turned that hotel into a murder scene for a little bit oh my god because i had no idea and i was just touching everything oh no it's okay we cleaned everything up my blood pretty easy to wipe off as it turns out Um, great great that's good to know when i murder you (laughs) um but yeah had a great time um yeah it was one of those it was it's one of those vacations you know where you go there to like kick back and relax and enjoy yourselves but because you're doing so much stuff you end up more tired when you get home and so, yeah, my feet are so tired. My wallet is very tired. Um, and I think I'm not going to eat anything for the rest of the month just to um, balance things yep. out. to cleanse. Yeah. yeah. You're going to do the lemon juice and, and uh, <laughs> syrup and, or maple syrup. The cayenne. Yeah. Cayenne. <laughs> good, well, yeah, good deal. Worth that, it. <laughs> totally worth it. All right. Um, Jess, what's popping with you? So... I am preparing for this big trip to Europe. One of the stops we're making is London. And I always like to watch or read things relating to the place I'm going. And (laughs) um, this time, my boyfriend, Raymond, hopefully soon fiance, he better get on that. Um, (laughs) 
is has never seen Paddington. So I made him this list. And so we watched Paddington together and it it's it holds up so well. I haven't watched it in a while. I think I was also like something was like something was weird with like Mercury or something because I was like very emotional and I was like crying all through the first <laughs> act, which is just like tragedy upon tragedy if you haven't seen it. Um and then you know it's always really fun to see like the who's who you know the British A team like the BBC mm-hmm. A team pop up um, some of the best villains like Nicole Kidman uh, playing the villain in this one just just A plus camp performance um, and I think it just sums up so perfectly what something Raymond said some, sums it up so perfectly he's like wow this movie doesn't waste any time because mm-hmm. it just goes bam 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 and like so many things happen and I'm like yes it's a kids movie it's 90 minutes long mm-hmm. all movies should be 90 minutes long. <laughs> they were able to cram um, a whole backstory, a uh, marmalade day, an earthquake, <laughs> a move to a move to England, um, s- several quests, all these things in like 90 minutes. Okay, no excuses. Uh, but if you have not seen Paddington or Paddington 2, would highly recommend. It's such a... Was was it Paddington one that had the hundred percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes? No, it was recently? number two. Was it number two until some fucker ruined it? And also, it um over, it passed up um Citizen Kane as the best reviewed movie. A hundred percent. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane's fucking boring. Okay, if you've watched <laughs> Citizen Kane, it sucks. The twist is dumb, and Orson Welles is not as cute as fucking Paddington. Okay, so uh, we love Paddington. Would highly recommend. Very excited to go. Um, I mean, he's named after the station, but I don't think I'm going to go to the station. I I actually finally rode out of the station. I was very excited because then you could take a picture with the Paddington sculpture. That's um, oh my god! There's a sculpture. Yes, yes, okay, yes. Okay, maybe yes. I will make a stop and, there. And and it was because I had to take a train to go to a set visit. So um, my friend and I, we were both like, we worked for different outlets. We were just like wait, we have to take a train and we had no fucking clue what we were doing. It was an adventure, but it was really exciting to take the train to another, just another station. Like, and then it wasn't a subway, right? It's totally different. It's not the, it's not the Yeah, it's like a train yeah. station. Yeah. yeah, it's an actual train station. So highly recommend. It's on HBO Max, I believe, as is Paddington 2, which mm-hmm. is also fantastic. Again, I'd like to remind everyone that Hugh Grant earned a BAFTA nomination for mm-hmm. playing the villain in number two. And they also just recently announced that they're making a third one and it's going to be set in Peru. And I'm really, really wondering who's going to be the villain this time. Yeah. Indeed. Who'd be your dream cast? Because they have to be like very famous A-list, like British. British. It's a very, it's British like Harry British. Potter rules. Like you have to be British. Yeah, yeah. Um... Like who feel, else are we missing that we I need to cram like in here? I feel like we've already done like the Helen Mirren thing. I would like a grand dame. Um, I think Judy Dench should be the villain. She's 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 good. Um, who else? Like, <sighs> do we need to bring Idris Elba in? Like, oh my he's, god, he's already like the villain cat from Cats and yes. like the bad guy in Hot Shot. Hobbs and Shaw. And he was the bad guy in uh, Sonic. Sonic. Should he just do like, <laughs> yes. I guess that's already three, but like, should he just do a triple crown of like, yeah. He should just continue. Baddies? Just bring him in. He always levels yeah. it up. 
or like, oh, you know, they need to get David Tennant in here. They need to get all the doctors in here. They need to get Eccleston, Tennant, and uh, Smith all in, like yeah. playing a band of thieves or something. Yeah. I think that'd be so cute. Because Capaldi's already in it. He's like the nosy neighbor. Yeah. Um, and then Jody, Jody Whitaker. Jody Whitaker, yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, they're in Peru, right? They gotta get some like Latin flair in there. Or like some like just not like some ethnics in there, right? <laughs> but yes, very excited. Um and just I hope he gets like to see his aunt again. <laughs> I know she's like vibing at like the, the home for retired bears, but I'm sure she'd like a visit. Yes. I still have not watched the Paddington. Do you recommend I start with one or should I go straight to two? It Watch really one. doesn't matter. They're both delightful, and I don't think you'll like it'll take away anything from yeah. either movie. You won't <laughs> lose anything. Like you won't be lost, but you might as well just watch one because it just gets better after that. Like mm. it, they're both good, but like the second movie is like yeah. so good that you yeah. might as well like yeah build yourself up. Because because remember like when Batman movies, the first one always had to do the origin story, and then the second one like you could really get cooking because you just did mm-hmm. the origin story. It's kind of like that vibe. But the Paddington trilogy is going to be way better than the Nolan Batman <laughs> trilogy. There, I said it on That's, record. Well, it already is. So yes, they could literally do a shot for shot remake of Dark of of Dark Knight Rises, but with Paddington, and it will be a better movie than the Dark Knight Rises. All right. Han, what's popping with yes. you? All right. So uh, I have been enjoying the one episode I've seen so far of Ms. Marvel. It is the new MCU series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it is about Ms. Marvel, who is a young South Asian girl um, who finds her powers uh, through various ways. You know, you can look at her, up her origin story there. But, you know... We already know that she's going to be in the Marvels movie. So I'm very excited to see like this jump to the big screen because, first of all, the actress who plays Kamala Khan is the teenage girl who she has her own like vlog. She's a super geek. She loves the Avengers. She loves like all things Marvel. She's really especially into Captain Marvel. Um, and so when she gets her own powers, of course, that's kind of like almost like a dream come true. Um, they've, they've changed up a, a couple things from the comic book, which is fine. Um, but what I, I kind of love about it is that the person they cast is this Canadian uh, girl, Iman Vellani, who is basically Kamala Khan. Uh, she is also a huge geek, really into Avengers, all this other stuff. Um, she is, you know how like we, we love like Matrei in Never Have I Ever as far as like finding the perfect girl for that role. I feel like Iman Vellani is like the perfect girl to play Kamala Khan because um, she has not just like that enthusiasm and sort of like real youth about her. She is a little bit older than the character. Um, but she also has really great comedic timing and expressions and talent. So she's just she's just infectious, I think, when it comes to her um, her enthusiasm and fandom for Marvel. So uh, anyway, so seeing her with her full family, who is, I believe, Pakistani American family, each of the family members is in their own way really funny or very sweet or both. Um, you, you 
you're afraid, you know, I'm I'm always afraid, you know, when it comes to a family, like they're going to come off as some sort of stereotypical, like nagging immigrant, whatever. And there are, of course, um, those things raised as far as like the differences between, you know, what the kid wants as someone who's assimilated, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's done very well. There is nuance. And as I said, there's humor, like even the mom who seems to be the bigger, you know, the, the more strict parent when it comes to like what she wants expects out of her daughter it's also still very funny um the dad has a moment where literally in the first episode i both laughed and then cried within the same like minute you know because <laughs> it was just so heartbreaking um and she has a best friend who uh seems to invent things um i don't want to give too much away but i think the other reason why this first episode was just so good is um it is created and written by a british uh south asian comedian um so it's actually very funny i think tonally they just got it right but also there's a pair of directors two young guys who um i think they brought a lot of like energy and kinetic you know sort of a look to the uh first episode that like really sold it to me it like it made me feel like very hopeful and excited and like that this was youthful and fun so I'm very excited it's only six episodes I'm excited to see where they go next even though they're switching up like directors per episode and writers but um yeah so far I, I feel like it's one of the better Marvel series that I've seen in a while. So vibes check out right now, right? Yeah, totally vibes. I it's just very it's adorable, but it's also just good. Just very good. Yeah, I think we're probably gonna talk more in depth about the series um after the season runs. So we'll see if it let, sticks the landing or not. But excited to um catch Miss Marvel. All right. Before we get to our main event, um, we have one last check-in with Go Asian, <laughs> our top chef podcast within our podcast. Um, and man, Go Asian, we won. We won, guys. He sealed the deal. Did he did it. He did it. Very happy. Justice for the last season. Uh. <laughs> uh. I'm but, just yes. really glad that Sarah did. <laughs> uh, you know what? I agree because I, I hate to say it, but like the only person I want to get through Last Chance Kitchen and then make it and win it at the end has already done it. So <laughs> when she came back, I was like, she clearly has the skills. I give her a little bit of respect there, but I didn't want her to snake it from under uh, yeah. under the, uh, the other two because honestly, I felt like they also were very well worth it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the final episode of Top Chefs is always super exciting because it's like, just cook whatever you want. And it's always fun to see all the chefs just like live up to their potential. And especially for this season, I feel like it was always going to be Buddha's to lose, right? He was either going to win or he was going to mess up and someone else wins. Like, once we got through the people who kept disappointing me, it's like, oh man, <laughs> it was just like, it's like, Ashley, I really wanted you to keep on doing it, you know, or... uh and Joe, I think it was Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah, just kept disappointing me. So for me, by the near to the end, I wanted it to be Buddha or Evelyn. I would have yeah. accepted Jackson, but, you know, because he's just a lovable. But, you know, what yeah, it was you, Buddha or Evelyn. What did you guys think when, you know how in the finale you get to pick your sous chefs? And <gasps> our bizarre. boy Buddha picked COVID boy as his yeah. sous chef. Well, I, I know, think, that was a hot take. But I think it was still smart because before Jackson messed up royally, he was actually on a winning streak. 
So, uh, and, and he was doing that without being able to taste. So I think it was a smart move because also the other two that people picked, I was just like, again, I like Joe, but she kept messing up. I don't Everyone know needed was... that Texas solidarity. That's why she picked yeah, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it felt like, I, I don't know if maybe Jay might have been better. I just feel like someone who has more skill is the one you'd want as your sous chef. But I guess personalities do matter, so. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? How do we feel about our boy Buddha winning? I'm actually very happy. I think he also had a great story. Um, it was one of those where I was like, look, you can't just lose your dad right before you get on Top Chef, you know, and not kind of feel for that. So I feel like that worked out. But also he just did a great job throughout. And um, I like how he was inspired and he had really great instincts like the the time he made the marriage pasta and did nothing else to it. You know, he, he was able to take some risks and um, he did it very thoughtfully. And he also did his homework. <laughs> That's that is that is what I respect. OK, let me mm-hmm. like as someone who um, was always like like the tryhard in school, like I'm gonna be real, like, you know, the one who like did all the studying and then like you just sometimes find like, you know, like some some like fun kid just gets like like through personality or charm like is like oh that's fine and then and then you're like but you didn't work as hard as me like i was just like no buddha worked really hard he studied really hard he played the game really hard and some like some of these comments from tom i'm like tom you shut up like he's trying too hard like this is the fucking finale of top chef what do you want him to do you literally ding showed it last year for like not trying hard enough and not Mm -hmm. making it fancy enough so shut up tom yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling Tom's just always like that. They just yeah, decide how much to show. That's his personality. Just like but I do Tom. like him. I do like his feedback much better than Mr. Hollywood's. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, the other no. blue eye. Ho- I mean, Hollywood is Jeff. getting too much. He, he needs to he needs to shut up. Like <laughs> I've been re- like rewatching some of it like in the background. And he's just so it's so me- all the critique is so mean spirited now. It's it's. Fuck that guy. So he's not yeah. t- he's not Paul Hollywood levels, but he's no uh, Kenneth Browning Jones, you know, <laughs> from Pottery. Okay, I was like, at the artistry, <laughs> who, the, the man cries at the artistry of of like beautiful. Things. I still mm. haven't watched. I will at some point, but I just got too much stuff to watch. It's fine, <sighs> but it's good background stuff. Yeah, Buddha. I will. I will look forward to one day trying out. Whatever he does, because yes, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we're all the same. If we go to a city with a Top Chef restaurant, we're going to a Top Chef restaurant, right? Well, it depends on the Top Chef. <laughs> That's true. But yes, because here's the thing. We live in L.A. There are plenty of Top Chef restaurants. <laughs> um, so it just depends on, you know, if it's convenient, what their, what their point of view is. I, I do have to say I'd more likely eat at a Top Chef restaurant if they're Asian. Um, or I any, will say the best Top Chef yeah. restaurant I have ever been to was Nina Compton's in oh. New Orleans. Compare La Pan, fantastic. I mean, that's a must for yeah. sure. I'll go to hers. I'll go to um, Shoda's restaurant. Two Top Chefs who should have won their seasons. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe that's the strategy. Go for the one that should have won <laughs> instead of the winner. Huh. Well, that's another season of Top Chef in the books. Um, I'm glad that we were able to stick with it for the entire run yes um, yes Asian... it didn't break my heart no <laughs> so good it's always sad when like the one or two asians are bad they, i mean look <laughs> they gave us what five and it yeah. was just like 
we can hold on. Just yeah. just make it to the end. Not going to lie. They should have kept Sam in longer just for the personality. Yes, after he for, left, there was like no personality. Just for giggles. I agree. Yeah, but he 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 played himself. Yeah. I mean, Sam Alu was a bad idea. So. <laughs> All right. Um, that's what's popping for this week. Um, when we come back, we're heading out, um, I guess, off the coast of Long Island <laughs> to check out Fire Island. Be right back. host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like, a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're checking out Fire Island. The latest romantic comedy from director Andrew Ahn, written and starring Joe Kim Booster, um, also starring Bowen Yang, Conrad Rikimura, Margaret Cho, and Matt Rogers. Um, I mean, we've been talking about this film ever since it was a Quibi <laughs> project. Since it was a Quibi. Yes. Yeah. We have been standing this project since Quibi, pre-Quibi days. <laughs> it oh is Joe Kim Booster's adaptation of Pride and Prejudice taking place on the, I guess, gay vacation village or island of Fire Island, which is off the coast of Long Island with Joe and Booster playing Noah, the Lizzie Bennett character, and Bowen Yang playing Howie, who is the Jane character, with Conrad Rickamora as the Darcy. Jess Han, what do we think of Fire Island? I fucking loved it. Uh, caveat, I watched this in the screening where the cast and creative team were there and it was a bunch of their friends and probably one of the more fun viewing experiences I've had, especially since pandemic. Um, The jokes landed so well. Uh, And it's not just like queer culture jokes or millennial queer culture jokes. It's also like queer millennial culture that is like chronically online. So I think if you are any of those three, um, you will very, you, you know, you'll just enjoy this movie and the jokes will hit. And then if you're, you know, any intersection of those, it's just more enjoyable. It's like exponentially more enjoyable. Um, and I just, I thought it was a really good adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, obviously, and it, through a very specific cultural lens of a culture I am not a part of. And that's kind of like my kryptonite. I love stories where it's just like, a world, a culture, a demographic, a community that I don't know a lot about or may not know the ins- like deep in- deep cut insights about. Um, so being able to see this, and I-, I believe they did shoot it on location, like in New York. Um, and you could kind of just tell like everyone had a really good time filming this. Like the good <laughs> vibes come off uh, and it was great. And lots of, lots of great eye candy. I know none of it's for me, but I can still appreciate it from afar. Yeah. 
So I didn't get to go to that screening because that was my own damn fault. I didn't RSVP in time, but I saw a screener of it. And then, of course, I watched it again <laughs> once it got released because it's just that good. And I got to agree, um, as someone who I, I, I like, yes, of course, it's a contemporary, you know, uh, remake of the story or at least through the lens of a, you know, contemporary times. However, I do think it's very faithful in so many ways to the original book, um, the beats, uh, and, and then the, the structure of the book down to the point where like, so if you know the original Pride and Prejudice, even if it's the, uh, Joe Wright one, you know, there's a scene in the rain where there's a declaration (laughs) and, you know, stuff happens and it's, and when you read it in the book, it's almost literally in the middle of the book. So that's the climax of the book. And so I was watching in the movie and trying to see like where that fell. And there is a scene in the rain where it's not quite a declaration, but almost like a declaration. When those rain clouds started coming in, you knew it was coming. It was like, oh, they're walking in the rain. It's yes. the scene. Oh, we love it. We love yeah. it. Through the meat rack, no less, which is. FYI, if you're not familiar, like the wooded area in the island where you just go anonymously, like hook up. Yes, yes. And so, like, there are just so many specific ways that they're able to, um, Joel Booster was able to make it work for the Pride and Prejudice story because also Jane Austen is all about social commentary and looking at class and how people are snobby and how people don't know themselves. Like these are flawed people. And I think Joel Kim Booster did a really good job of translating that to the queer or at least very specifically the gay male, you know, um, sort of environment, these sort of class things that um, when it came to poverty or not poverty, but just like money, but also like race, um, who's hot, who's not, you know, um, and then also just the the issues with each character. Each of them had issues and, that were not very, you know, they weren't easily resolved. And, and, some, and that made also some of the insults be really stinging and great. Like, I think, you know, it's basically the whole Pride and Prejudice thing is that the Darcy says something snide about the Lizzie Bennett and then Lizzie overhears it and that's what kicks it off, right? So here he says about Noah, like, he's not hot enough to be that annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's so good. It's such a good insult um, because he's a very good looking guy. <laughs> And so, like, what is what can you possibly say about this guy who's that good looking? It's like, well, he's kind of annoying because he's very he's very quippy. He 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 says a lot of like wry, sharp things. And so, for someone who is not within his group, yeah, that's going to be annoying. So there's just so many great jokes, very smart jokes. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's also just such a smart take because I mean, this is a rom com. Like, this is yes. a rom com, right? And it's. It's a, it's a Jane Austen adaptation. It's a contemporary adaptation. But I have I cannot remember the last time a rom-com dealt with class and like wealth <laughs> and material wealth like this movie did. Because usually rom-coms exist in a world where everyone is just wealthy for no explanation and money is not an issue. Right? Like yeah. 
the you know your the the our protagonists are usually like I'm a magazine editor who lives in a four million dollar Manhattan yep. apartment. Like they even make fun of it in like the Rebel Wilson uh-huh. uh rom com. So so you know this is it's you know a lot of rom coms are like very fantastical in that sense. And and Pride and Prejudice in itself and the original Pride and Prejudice deals <clears throat> in a very like heteronormative patriarchal system where like marriage is the goal because marriage is the only way to stability right like yes who a woman marries is kind of her only choice and how her life is gonna go and if she marries poorly like her rest the rest of her life is fucked like she's not even allowed to earn her own money right um so when it's interesting because now when you take women out of the occasion i think the way that the wealth is portrayed in this world is very different. I've actually don't think I've ever seen a Pride and Prejudice adaptation where wealth wasn't the prize. And mm-hmm. this movie very much treats it as wealth and that snobbery and that arrogance is not the prize in this case. If no. anything, um, you know, James Scully, aka Charlie, and Conrad Rickamore's character, the Darcy, are the winners because they get adopted into this much more colorful loving found family than their like shitty friends who like have a lot of wealth but you know there's that really great awkward dinner scene where charlie's just like you guys are so fun i've never met anyone like you but like he's this like rich white man and there's all these like poor like ethnic queer people and they're like whoa like that doesn't sound right and he like catches himself right so i thought that was really a, a very interesting twist and i do wonder is it because we're removing the heteronormativity right like mm. let's be real like as a woman like we all want to marry for love but it's even better if the man you're marrying is just fucking rich <laughs> yeah i i think it was like very smart because like you're saying that it's not the win for the you know the howie and the noah to to land these guys it's the other way around but and because of that also i was very glad for because for them for marriage not to be the main goal because that would have been weird right like why are these like gay guys just all of a sudden getting married so they even make fun of that when it comes to a love declaration they're like oh no no that's too early like no too much just like be happy together yeah like we've only known each other a week (laughs) so it's like too much dial it back um and so i i like that was i like the acknowledgement that that was too much because yeah yes you're playing with sort of the rom-com formula because this is this is jane austen by way of rom-com right um because jane austen really isn't quite a rom-com um but uh and and but at least they make fun of certain things like there's the big gesture there there is the goofy you know other things that just make no sense whatsoever but you know you got to do it so yeah I was very happy that because you can't just have Noah all of a sudden be like yeah I want to have a commitment with you you know lawyer guy (laughs) so they kind of also like how like what makes him hot is like oh he does like tenant rights (laughs) of course he does I love that shit I I also gotta say um, I know like like you, Jess, I was like, I know these guys are not for us, but I have to say, Will Conrad Rickmore was my favorite new Darcy um, because the, he they made they gave him so many little like cute moments, but also Conrad Rickmore has a really good timing. 
uh, comedic timing. And so there's this sort of ongoing shtick where he's eating a tiny ice cream. But whenever he gets caught eating it, he's just so embarrassed by it. He just like flings it away from himself. Um, and so, and then of course, there's an amazing dance-off scene where he's just really dorky dancer. Which um, is also really funny because you know he can dance. Yes. And he's trying not to dance well, but he's still like very on rhythm for someone who can't yes. dance. Because yes. he's a Broadway he, guy, right? He's like the king. Yeah. He's a very good dancer. He, he's a good dancer, yes. <laughs> yes. But that's he why dance. but that's why I think he was able to make it comedic because you'd get a bad dancer and they're just flailing around, but he was able to like find that sweet spot. You know, so, of yeah. Anyway. So I so. will say, um Conrad Rickamora's will, which I guess comes from Fitzwilliam Darcy, right? Yes, Fitzwilliam. Um, yes. Was the first Darcy I've seen in the adaptations that I've watched where you can totally tell that he is totally vibing with the Lizzie character from the uh-huh. start. Ah, uh, chem- chemistry, yes. Yeah. That he was into, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Um, it, the, they start off very early on where, like, Noah has to grab onto him because, like, some, like, horrible guy is hitting on him and he's like, I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> that was just like... <laughs> oh, uh, that's the Collins. Yes, yeah, that's yes. the Collins. It's so good. It's yeah. so good. Um, yeah. As a, you know, cishet dude, um, <laughs> watching this film, I really appreciate the fact that it wasn't, there was some exposition kind of explaining the dynamics of Fire Island, but it was never like for quote unquote people like me, right? It was just kind mm-hmm. of to explain things. And I kind of, I really appreciate that everyone was allowed to exist in this film without having to be a tour guide or like, you know, a cultural mm-hmm. Sherpa for, for the non gay guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, I I don't know much about Fire Island. I just know it by reputation. So I don't know any of the spots they went to, the Ice Palace. Um, At some point, they do a karaoke thing. It looked like it was in a gym. I'm very sorry. Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, But it didn't matter. That's the thing. It's like, I think for those who are familiar with Fire Island, they're going to be so excited to see all these familiar things. And, And yet it didn't detract for me, yeah. um, not knowing what was going on. So like, I was also just nice. very, because you know, we're all friends with Andrew on the director, and this is his first, I guess, non-artsy film, but it was yes. still very much... But it's a very artsy yeah, film. Yeah, it's like, still a very much an Andrew on film. Marvin, Marvin, as someone who watches every single shitty rom-com <laughs> that happens on every streamer, who watches shitty Christmas <laughs> movies... Yes. This is the most beautifully directed, <laughs> most beautifully mm-hmm. shot, artistically shot rom-com I think that has like ever been shot, okay? Like they turned a fucking rave at the ice oh house where everyone's on drugs into this like beautiful, sensual like moment. I was just like, ooh, I was just like, ooh. like <laughs> this isn't even for me. And I was like, oh, I'm giggling. Like, oh my God. It's beautiful. And like the again, the mirror shot in the bathroom. Yeah. The trademark Andrew on mirror shot. And, yes. the, the, and in this yeah. in this and in, and in this film, he added he added a mirror conversation into his repertoire. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> okay. The beach the beach reading mm-hmm. dates. Uh just just okay, um, here's my hot take. Are you ready? Are you ready? Sure. Um Andrew on could do two thousand five Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> But Joe Wright could not do Fire Island. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's totally. it's very easy when you have like beautiful landscapes and beautiful houses and like, you know, he, you know, like yeah, put Karen Knightley on the cliff and let the wind blow. Um, <laughs> you know, wide shot. 
beautiful. Um, Andrew, again, Andrew and, you know, the creative team and Joel and the way that I think, I think the way they lovingly treat all this space, it just like, yeah, it's a nasty ass club with a bunch of sweaty people. And it's like beautiful. Like the back room where everyone's having an orgy. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I mean, this is the man that made spa night. Like, like, yeah, that made like Korean town pick up like gay pickup culture. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had my uh, gay freelancer um, interview Andrew and something that he said was interesting to me because he was like he like shooting beautiful shots. I think he's he's that's easy for him or at least that's in his wheelhouse. Right. But he did say he was nervous about the comedy because he's like, I would rather watch someone watch one of my dramas because it's straightforward. But like if c- comedy doesn't land that's like nerve wracking. So he like he was basically relying not only on Joel Kim Booster, but like the whole cast to like fight, try yeah. to figure it out. But yeah, it's like it, it because I do agree that comedy isn't most rom-coms aren't actually funny to me. Right. Um, some of them are just wacky. And so you just enjoy it. But they're often not laugh out loud funny. And so this one gave me genuine laughs. And I think that was really smart because, of course, written by people who do stand up and, you know, and performed by people who are very good comedians. Um, But, yeah, you still need to be able to put it together right to capture the timing of it. I mean, you can throw away your ice cream at any time, but it doesn't always make a laugh. (laughs) So, (laughs) Um, yeah. I Yeah, I think, again, I think it's just a really great synergy between, like, Andrew's, like, artistic paralysis and just having this like i mean when your cast has joaquin booster and bowen yang and matt mm-hmm. rogers and tom tomas Mato- matos matos, matos mm-hmm. and like it's just like and margaret cho and i'm just like yeah this is this is gonna be a good time the the scene where they're all doing drugs and it all kicks <laughs> in at different times that's like number one very accurate um, even down to the detail of like, you know, they're too cheap to buy water because water at those clubs yes. are like 10 to $15. <laughs> so he just like g- gives his, their friend who usually doesn't do drugs, like just gives him an empty water bottle. And it's like, go fill the sink water and drink yes. that. I was like, that's, and Bowen's just like, you know, crawling on the chair because he's obviously sad, but he's rolling on ecstasy. So I definitely can't feel sad. I definitely related to that scene most of all from this entire movie. <laughs> I've been that friend who has yeah, to no, like when you're wrangle. The, when you're the one who yeah. has to mm-hmm. corral all your friends because you're the most sober one, yes. but you're not sober sober. <laughs> you're just like, fuck. Like, it's so relatable. Um, and and just some of these like throwaway lines or if you even if you watch like some of the other like I think Matt and Tomas were great mm-hmm. a fantastic Kitty and Lydia mm-hmm. and they just do really weird shit in the background mm-hmm. next time you watch it just watch what they're doing in the background yeah um, like Matt has Dex written in sunscreen yes. on the beach just like such a cringy Kitty thing to do and and the miss you know obviously the Mar- I think the viral scene is the Marissa Tomei heads up scene. Yes. Oh my God. There there are just so many moments. Also, they did they choreographed their own um, karaoke. Of dance. course. Of um, course. You know, here's the thing. I do have to say that despite having some really funny moments, um, Bowen Yang also was very heartfelt and sweet. I thought. Oh yeah, there was like acting. Yeah, like, and I was just impressed by hey, him acting. 
I, I, I was just like, oh, you are a Jane. <laughs> like I was, I was kind of, very, I was kind of moved by him. So I was like, okay, I, I'll watch him do other stuff. I would like to see him do dramatic stuff. I j- just the line that got me the most though was, wait, Lyme disease? You mean like what Yolanda Hadid has, which is like so many layers <sighs> of like All cultural, the- like stupid cultural knowledge you need to have. And of course, you know, check off Lyme disease. They talk about in the beginning and it comes back. Yeah. Yeah. All the throwaway lines. I was just like Lindsey Graham so and the parent trap. He's like, wait, I'd watch that. Yeah. I mean, as a Pride and Prejudice adaptation and as someone who has not. Like, it's it's real dumb. Like, I know a lot about Pride and Prejudice, but I've never seen an actual like direct adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Um, but even I couldn't see that like this was a good reading of it, right? I read some discourse on just the way that they treat the Lydia character, right? In a lot mm-hmm. of adaptations, she's kind of yeah. like the mm-hmm. the dumb one who like falls for the sexual predator. Mm-hmm. Um, and in several adaptations I've seen, like they read her as someone who deserves it, right? Whereas in this character, they're, they're very sympathetic to the Lydia character. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a sloppiness that happens when it comes to Pride and Prejudice adaptations because they generally just follow the main character's sort of trajectory. Um, like, I, I mean, like, look, I saw the one that was in a dog show, right? So, um, and then they lose Wait, all... What? It was a Hallmark movie. <laughs> okay. Um, Please link that to me later. <laughs> okay. And it was... And they lose all the nuance of the class commentary. They lose all the other nuance of like them not knowing themselves. It's literally just sort of like paper cut out characters who are doing stuff. So that's why I think this is such a good one. And it's probably why I think that Clueless is a really good Emma adaptation because it doesn't lose the actual messaging and the, uh, the flaw, the main flaw of Cher slash Emma. And so this one, I think um, Joel Kim Booster figured it out. He knew exactly why these characters worked in the original version. And he figured out how to make it work for the contemporary one. So, yes. And yeah, like like some, you know, like this idea of like wealth is not the prize in this one. Or like, you know, whiteness is not the prize. I think the original punished the characters for not subscribing. The original punishes the, for the characters who can't fit into the propriety like the mm-hmm. like who don't have enough propriety right mm-hmm. for the time but then like you're like but wait the time is fucked up yeah yeah <laughs> and i do think most adaptations even including my beloved 2005 version you know <laughs> because it's set in the same time period yes. like they stick with that but this is again the first definitely the first modern adaptation i've seen or read that challenges that notion yeah. and I think it was a really smart thread for him to follow for this adaptation, considering the world he's setting it in, the characters. I did miss some of the like deeper cuts, but again, I don't think this movie needed to be like two and a half hours. No. <laughs> so if we had to lose some things, but like could you imagine like what like what this version's what this world's version of a uh, Lady Catherine de Borough would have uh, been? Like she would have been insane, yeah. right? That would have been insane. Like maybe like that would have been like Conrad Ricamora's mom, but like that might have been a little too crazy with Asians. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's um or or I, I did miss Lu- Charlotte Lucas. Like we didn't really have a Charlotte, and that maybe a little bit more I love the kind of some of the humor from the uh 
Tom, uh, Mr. Collins. But in this version was like the rice queen, right? Like we would get like two short scenes, which is probably a good thing. Good enough. But yeah. I did like, I did a like, I did think in the original story, like some of these like side characters, which I really liked. Um, but again, I think he made ultimately made the right decision to yeah. like not I, cram too much. I yeah. do kind of wish the Bingley character, Charlie, was a little bit more interesting, but... But he, Bingley's not. No, he's perfect. He's not. Bingley, That's actually. the whole point. They're just nice. Like they're just pleasant. Like Bingley, like is, Jane and Bingley are just like simply lovely people. That's why they vibe together. Bingley is a golden retriever. That's yes. really all he is. And I thought this Charlie character was perfect. I actually think they made the Jane more interesting because it's Bo and Yang. Um, yes, but anyway, so I just I, guess because the way they rom com this up is they made the Jane Bingley relationship foregrounded right that was the rom-com climax of this film and i just kind of felt like i was just not invested in that relationship <laughs> I, I mean i i can i feel that. like how he deserved better to be honest oh but you know it's almost like having health insurance <laughs> that's uh. true that's true <laughs> um speaking of charlie aka played by james scully mm-hmm. that is the actor's name he was in you previously mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he is publicly out as, as a gay actor. So fun story. My, I watched this, I watched Fire Island with some friends. Um, and it just so happened that these friends have literally never watched or engaged with or read any version of Pride and Prejudice. Uh. So they did not, I know people <laughs> like that exist. I don't, this was I, their introduction. I don't know how. <laughs> so literally Fire Island was, is the first version wow. of it like kind me. of purchases they have ever watched. It just like me. <laughs> but they didn't even know the beats. They did not know the beats. So they really enjoyed it. Um, and then I was just kind of being like, oh, like, this is a really good adaptation. But they obviously, like, they had to cut some things. Um, so right after we watched Fire Island, they allowed me to put on the <laughs> 2005 version <laughs> of Pride and Prejudice, which is, uh, which, like, one friend, her mom, that's like one of her mom's favorite movies. So we're watching the 2005 version of Pride and Prejudice and they like just have a hard time grasping the, li- which I understand. Like it's also like it's, this is your first time watching this movie and like you're not like super paying attention because the language is a little different. You know, it's heightened. There's a lot of like world building. It's almost like watching a sci-fi movie. Like there's a lot of rules they drop and exposition like through dialogue in that first act you kind of have to figure out what's going on so my friends being that i'm there just like are asking me like to explain things which i'm happy to do because <laughs> i'm just grateful they're watching this at all like they've never watched this even though this is one of my favorite movies but they keep asking me and they don't know the character's name and i have to keep referring to them as their fire <laughs> island equivalents <laughs> um and specifically they don't even remember that charlie's name is charlie my friend keeps calling him james scully so she's like wait which one's james scully I'm like the little redhead is james scully i was like so what's happening like okay so james again we're watching the joe Wright one right with Kira Knightley and Rosamund Pike and all these like very well-known actors who are like nominated for Oscars for this movie and I'm like okay so James Scully really likes Bo and Yang no Bo and Yang right now is talking to Joe Kim Booster no Kira Knightley is Joe Kim Booster yeah the blonde is Bo and Yang no 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 Rupert but they know Rupert Fiend because they date like him and Kira Knightley dated like no no that's Dex 
And they're like, what is, I was just, and again, I keep having to say James Scully. Like, so James Scully, so so Darcy is saying, is telling his friend James Scully that he can't marry Bowen Yang because his family sucks. But oh my God. The two, and I was just like, I can't believe I have to, this is how I have to tell you, explain <laughs> Pride and Prejudice. That's amazing. So, that's awesome. They're, the like, they're like, which Scully. was that? Which was that? I was like, that's Matt, Matt Rogers. That's Matt Rogers. <laughs> that's Luke. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, the James Scully. The, the fact that she didn't even remember like the character name and I had to just keep saying like James Scully. I mean, James that was just Scully. how boring Charlie was though. He's always boring though. Yes, Bingley is always boring. Bing, the, Bingley's whole thing is he's nice and he's rich. I honestly thought this one was the m- most slightly interesting Bingley I've ever seen. Um just because he, I don't know, he seemed to have the good taste to actually laugh at jokes. I mean, Maybe you know what it, it is? It just reminded me of like, man, because I play, so I've never dated a white person. <laughs> and it just Fair, reminded me, same. man, it's just, it would just be so exhausting to have to like explain everything to someone about anything ethnic, right? Anything. Yeah. And like, that's like, like, I, I. Do you like what are you thinking about when you say explain? Like, are you just talking about like things like holidays and like holiday traditions and food? Like, that's already exhausting, right? Yeah. Um, I have a I have a friend who's dating a a white man. He is gay, and like we were trying to explain to him the concept of it does not matter how poorly your parents treat you when they get old, they're going to live with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And he's like, no, like, I don't think, like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. We don't do that. Or at least I know my friend won't do that. Like, he's going to take his mom in when she gets old. Yeah. Like, you know this, right? Like, there's no negotiation. Well, you're the second daughter, so you're okay. No, I'm fine. Well, I'm, (laughs) I'm going to have, we're going to have to figure out something with my mom because I have a feeling my brothers are not going to take them in, uh, take up in my mom. So, but I'm over here in California. So I'm like, fuck, what are we going to (laughs) do? So, uh, yeah, I've already been thinking about that. So having dated white men, (laughs) I do have to say it is not constant questions, but I feel like there should be. I think so. Uh-huh. It's like a lose lose situation. Yeah, I like think you're there's answering ass- constant questions, or like, why aren't you asking constant yeah, questions? Yeah, I think there are assumptions made. There are things that, yeah. And so every now and then I'm just like, oh, you didn't know that. You probably should just have asked me or something. So it, it's, it's, it's give and take. Mm. Uh, totally depends. I, I do vibe better with people, no matter who they are, as long as they know something <laughs> about, like, especially. I guess Asian food is the is the main thing. But like, could you be with someone who doesn't want to eat rice like every day or like every other Oh yeah, day? no. That's but that's also been the deal breaker. It's kind of like usually if they I can don't tell, want to, I think that's fine. If they refuse to. Right, right. I right. think that's another thing. Right. And also, you know, I like to eat various things and also I like to eat things away from them too. <laughs> you know, so that's <laughs> that's totally fine, but they have to be able to eat a lot of Asian food and a variety. But not just Asian food, but other ethnic foods because it's, you know, yeah. This is where I, how I grew up. I think that's ultimately my my projection of my beef with Charlie is just man. He was kind of you know being a tourist, you know. He is definitely the uh, the most milksoppy. Well, not even a milksop. Sort of just like blandest character of all. <laughs> like even the villains are more interesting than him, and that's why you always are you remember them, you know. So mm. anyway, 
Yeah. Um, I actually like James Scully because he was in a movie I watched called Straight Up. Um, he was a gay best friend there. Uh, but it was a quirky, odd movie. Um, yeah. And I was happy to see him here. So anyway. <laughs> All right. So Fire Island. Is this good pop? Yes. More, uh, you know, movies starring LGBTQ folks where they don't die or it's not drama porn. More rom-coms in general and more good rom-coms that are shot beautifully, well-written, well-cast, and like with a great sound, fantastic soundtrack. Who knew this would be the revival of Britney Spears' uh, Lucky, right? No, no. Sometimes. 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 Get your coin out of your ears, Mark. How dare you? How dare you disrespect Miss Brittany Lynn Spears like that? She is a newly married lady. Yes. Living, she got a hot, she got a hot um, Persian husband yep. who's a physical trainer. Yep. She'll live her life. Yep. Um, I I think I have to say after everything everywhere all at once, this is the second favorite movie of mine this year. So there you go. Two very strong Asian movies. No bias. They are just good movies. So, yeah. Yeah. It's it's very enjoyable. Um, I think, you know, as a fan of Andrew Ron movies, I'm happy to see him do um, do a rom-com. And I hope he gets more because, like Jess said, it's the most beautiful rom-com I've seen in recent years. <laughs> uh, who knew that rom-coms can also be art? Uh, we all knew. <laughs> they just haven't been that's the problem and I hope to see more Bowen in movies more Joe Kim Booster um, more just opportunities for we don't need like a salvage Quibi project to do something like this <gasps> but at the same time I'm glad Quibi existed in that brief moment to give them the boost they needed to develop this project right can you imagine like if Quibi never ever happened this wouldn't have gotten green lighted and then also, I'm just curious, like, what were they thinking to put it on Quibi? Like, this is a beautiful movie. I, I can't imagine, like, what, seven-minute bites or even shorter. Um, it would have totally messed up the tone. It, uh, I also, that's why I appreciate the Quibi joke that um, <laughs> Margaret Cho made in, in, in that she was an early investor in Quibi, and that's why she is no longer rich. Uh, so, uh, yeah, th- there's so many good things. But Quibi gave us Fire Island. In a roundabout way. So thank you, jo- uh, Katzenberg. Thank you, Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> thank you, Daddy Katzenberg. <laughs> and for shutting it down so we could get it in a movie form. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for starting it and tanking it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, that'll do it for this episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, Jess Hanna, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at JustJudeTweets. And I am at Hanonymous. You can find me on Twitter at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian hosted podcasts. Um, check out our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. We'll be back next week to talk about, I guess, RRR, which is the latest film to be taking the internet by storm. I'm um, excited to check in that. It's on Netflix, right? Yeah, it's on Netflix and in theaters if you want to see it on big screen, which I hear it's worth it. All right. Well, we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.
Life gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.